It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for The Athletic, Sam Amick. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. You heard the big voice guy. Makes magic happen for The Athletic. He's our good friend Sam Amick. What's going on, Sam? Happy New Year. Hey guys, good afternoon. Happy New Year for sure. Hey, uh, we're we've talking a lot of, about the Jazz, Sam. As you can imagine, uh, they looked really good a little while ago against San Antonio. Had a win against the Clippers, uh, but now back-to-back losses against the Nets and the Knicks in kind of a bad fashion for both of those. Uh, what through all your years covering the NBA, when you see a team that's that's really good one night and and really bad the next, what's the, uh, can you kind of read into anything? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of kind of confusing outcomes early on this year all over the place. So, you know, if anything, for Jazz fans, that should make you feel a little better. Um, You know, you look at a team like Utah where I thought for sure the continuity was going to be the kind of thing that would help their cause early on. Um, And I didn't – so I didn't watch the Knicks game all that much, but it's like then you turn that game on against Brooklyn – and I'm assuming that they just weren't focused and weren't ready because you're assuming with Kevin Durant out that it's going to be easy pickings. And then Kyrie went off early, and, and it was pretty remarkable that they were in as bad a hole as they were, considering they were, I believe, at, at full strength and had their crew. So, yeah, I mean, just kind of mixed outcomes. You know, the Mike Conley looking a lot more comfortable early on was something that everybody was talking about. Obviously, Boyan Bogdanovich being back. And, uh, you know, and Donovan and Rudy having the contracts and time to go play ball. Um, but, and I'm looking at their schedule here. I mean, this is a tough stretch. You're talking about a, a lot of road time, and it's, it's weird road time because of the pandemic. I mean, you know, downtime and being stuck in a, in a hotel room going from San Antonio to Brooklyn and New York, Milwaukee, Detroit, Cleveland, Washington uh, over the course of, you know, basically 11 days. You know, that's a lot. One of the problems for the Jazz, uh, Sam, is that they they're they're struggling defensively. Uh, I mean, we have Kyrie, as you mentioned, just carved them up, but they've also been giving up the last two games sixty plus points in the paint, which is not what you would expect with Rudy Gobert there. And then those players who are perimeter players who may not be great defenders, but you're counting on to score. They've been in a bit of a slump offensively. So, I mean, it's sort of a double whammy for this team right now. Yeah, no question. And it's funny because it, this is um, hard to get at from a reporting standpoint. And it is admittedly kind of driving me nuts not being able to be around any of these teams because I just really wonder, and, and I hear what you're saying, Gordon, for sure. I just I think this might inform some of that. I just wonder – you know, how, what the guys feel about how the uniqueness of their daily rhythm and the way that they are being asked to do their jobs right now might be having an impact on the floor. Uh, I talked to a team today, for example, where uh, I don't want to put it out there, but like there's a, a player who is kind of a high profile addition to a team and he's not playing all that well. And um, they were talking about how, like, well, he's family hadn't really moved with him to town yet and he can't really go anywhere so it's a lot of downtime and and even the word lonely came up like you know kind of where was his state of mind and it kind of reminded me that 
to, to varying degrees, a lot of these guys are um, are just they're creatures of habit, and now their habits are very, very different. And I can even relate in a very, very, very small way. And you know, I mean, there's plenty of days around here where if I was expected to put a ball in a hoop, you know, I think I would struggle. So I think it, it goes well beyond Utah again. But you're seeing just some weird stuff right now where um, results are not what you would expect by any means. What's going on with the Raptors, Sam? I mean, I, I get it. Maybe they're not the best team in the East, but to almost be the worst? Yeah, not good. And it, it, it's kind of, you know, it's fodder for those of us in the media to speculate about what it might mean in terms of, you know, like I wrote a lot the last couple of weeks about the James Harden situation and teams that, that may be in the market. And I don't know how in the heck – I made this mistake, but I had written about like seven different teams and I didn't include Toronto. And some of the readers basically called me on it. I ended up going back into the article and adding a section on Toronto. And ever since then, now it's like, man, okay, you know, they're hurting bad. They need something. Um, but in, in lieu of James Harden coming to town, I don't know. It's just, you know, President Lee got paid a lot of money, not playing very well. Pascal Siakam, you know, um, is falling off a cliff for the most part. And that's a problem not only for the results as they sit here at one and six, but like, you know, even as you sit here and, and pontificate about a hardened deal or some other thing like that, like Siakam's value is not good right now. Um, so, yeah, I didn't see that coming. And this is a team that, that in the bubble had its identity, you know, fighting, scrapping, clawing, championship pedigree, even after Kawhi Leonard left town, so I'm pretty surprised by it. Here's another thing that uh, probably surprised you, Sam, is that the Phoenix Suns are not only as good as they are, but that, what they have the best defense in the league. Well, I mean, the best in the league surprises me. Uh, them being good does not, and then I mean, being much better defensively doesn't surprise me either because Chris Paul is like the, the kind of the the ideal head on the, on the snake, you know, for even as old as he is, that guy gets after it and he's contagious when it comes to his, uh, his spirit and his kind of dedication on both ends of the floor. And, and he's one of those guys, I don't mind at all owning it. Every time he comes up admitting readily that it's like, I thought that he was washed. I thought when the Warriors kind of handed the Rockets their lunch a few years back in the conference finals and, um, you know, Chris couldn't get around screens. And, you know, and I remember talking to Draymond Green after that series about Chris and almost having kind of a, you know, uncomfortable, like, you know, moment where he's kind of not laughing at Chris, but just like, yeah, I don't know. That's not the Chris Paul I know. And then it's like, okay, never mind. Because he, I know he went, uh, he didn't go vegan, but like he changed his diet and he changed his body. And that guy is incredible. And you're seeing the impact. They're deep, they're balanced. You know, Devin Booker doesn't feel like he has to go out and average 40. Um, I'm cheating and looking at it here. I mean, you know, if you if you looked at, at you know, Devin Booker averaging 21, um, you would assume that he would have to do more in order for them to be really good. But they're a good squad, man. They, uh, they're doing some good things. And Monty Williams, obviously, is, uh, is showing himself to, to continue to be a good coach and coming off the momentum of the bubble last year when – they were obviously perfect. Up next for the Jazz, Sam, they have uh, Milwaukee on Friday. 
Uh, tell us a little bit about the Bucks. Are they a better team with Drew Holiday? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the other thing that you look at there, um, and it's kind of a funny what if, you know, or, you know what might have been scenario, is like I like the Holiday edition big time. But then, you know, I've written a lot and talked a lot about the whole failed deal with Bogdan Bogdanovich where he was going to the box from the Kings and the China trade. And, you know, as you guys know, the league investigated, kind of slapped the bucks on the wrist for tampering. Bogdan ends up going to Atlanta. Well, in that deal with Sacramento, Dante uh, DiVincenzo was going to go to the Kings. And, you know, looking at it now, it's crazy because Dante's still on a rookie contract. But, uh, you know, I mean, they'd probably take Dante over Bogdan. You know, he's been really good, and Holiday has been doing his thing. Um, you know, they got Dante starting uh, alongside Drew, and, you know, they're, they're deep. They're, the shooting um, is still there. You know, obviously they set that league record a couple games ago for one game for three-pointers made. Uh, you know, we'll see. It's they They're so good that they've become one of those teams that, that I am a little guilty of, like, just not having any substantive takeaways about them until we're back in the playoffs because that's the standard that they've set. What are you making out of Philly right now? Seven and one leading the East? Um, they, yeah, I, I, again, six degrees of Harden. Uh, I like it. Um, you know, the calculus there on the Harden front was like, you know, it, do you want to go with this Philly version with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid or do you get Simmons to the Rockets and obviously Philly is now run in the front office by former Rockets, uh, former Rockets GM Daryl Morey. Um, but this, and, and I've written about this too. Like this is what Philly said, you know, going into the season, which is we don't have any urgency to trade for James Harden, and we want to see what this group looks like. And if they were one and seven instead of seven and one, I think James would probably already be there. You know what I mean? Like. You know, if it didn't look tenable, if it didn't look successful, then I think James would already be there. But it's going to be hard for them to come off of this as much as, as Maury loves James because of their history and the player that James is. But, you know, they look good. They they surrounded those guys with shooters, mainly Seth Curry and Danny Green, and, you know, tried to essentially make up for the shortcomings of, of Ben in particular in that department, uh, but not – sacrificing the defensive prowess that comes with him and and then trying to keep that part of their identity. So, you know, kudos to Doc Rivers for getting off to a good start. And, you know, we'll see if they can keep it up. Sam, you mentioned your your extensive piece on uh, Bar, uh, Bogdan or Bogdan, excuse me, Bogdanovich, um, and, and I read through that on the Athletic, and it was great. And and you included so much information you could never uh, possibly um, uh, uh, convey in just one answer. But can you can you take us through that drama a little bit? And and did the the Kings just forget the rules? <laughs> I mean, it's funny. I I think the, the Kings are in the clear. They didn't get hammered by. The league, you know, Milwaukee got hammered because the Kings are, you know, they're allowed to talk to teams about their player, and he's a restricted free agent, so they can talk to him. Um, but what it seems like they forgot to do was to just have clear communication with the player, because as he shared in the interview, you know, he uh, he had the Kings owner, Vivek Ranadive, and 
his kind of advisor and, and chief strategy officer, Joe Dumars, telling him that they wanted him to, to come back to Sacramento and they wanted to keep him. And obviously, being a restricted free agent, they had the ability to match any offer that came his way. But they, they have a new GM, you know, Monty McNair, who the, the messaging didn't come from him, and Monty ultimately decided to not match the Hawks' offer sheet. Um, but in the Milwaukee chapter, you know, I don't know what to think. I still, it's funny, I, you know, I enjoyed the interview. I tried my best to get clarity out of him, but I didn't blame any of the readers in the comment section who kind of, you know, gave me a hard time saying, yeah, that was 3,000 words and I still don't know what happened, you know. Um, because we know that Bogdan felt, is my new favorite word, uh, betrayed because he just invented a new word that makes perfect sense. <laughs> Um, so that part was made clear that he thought they, they they said one thing and did another in terms of Sacramento, but he didn't really explain, you know, did you want to play for Milwaukee all that much? He, he did talk about, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo was reportedly recruiting him really hard, and he kind of put, you know, cold water on that narrative and talked about how he was friends with Giannis's brother and the communication was mainly through him. So, um you know, I don't know. It was a confusing situation. And then now what's crazy is out in Atlanta, you know, Bogdan is, you know, I don't know, not necessarily having the role that he would like. He's, I think, seventh on the team in shot attempts, and that's a deep squad out there. So uh, but definitely a bizarre situation. So, Sam, let me ask you a, a sort of a strange question, but would you rather have, if you were a coach or a GM, whatever, would you rather have the top-rated offense in the league or the top-rated defense? And let me follow that up. The Bucks are averaging 125 over 125 points a game. They've given up uh, almost 112. But when you look at an upcoming foe up for the Jazz, the Wizards, they average 120, almost 121 game at 21 points a game, but they're giving up 122.9. Which which do you right. think is more valuable? Um, I mean, you know, if you're asking me to put a coach hat on, I'm going to have to say the defense. I mean, you if you, if I put my CEO hat on, I'm going to say the offense because that <laughs> you know is going to sell tickets. Now, granted, if you know, I guess I'm arguing against myself because if that defense, like as is the case with the Bucks, gets you into the playoffs and you get playoff money, then you don't have to be sexy with how you do it. Um, but I don't know. I think, you know, finding a defensive identity, um, I, I, this is, I don't know. I'm going to sound like a politician, Gordon, because I don't know which one's harder to develop because finding a defensive identity is pretty damn hard if you have, if you have guys who don't care and then guys who just don't have the instincts or the length or, you know, whatever it might be, or the coach that's going to have a system that's effective enough. But, you know, scores don't grow on trees either. And so finding offense, you know, if you look at that, is, uh, it, I mean, it's it's not easy either. We, we kind of saw in the early days of the Warriors, right, we're like, all right, Steph Curry's great, and it's great to have him back. But it was like, oh, good God, like there's no one else around him that can hit a shot. Um, so, you know, neither one, if I, you know, it sounds, it's cliche and predictable, but I'll, I'll go with the defense if I got to pick one. 
Let me follow up with that, Jake, if you don't mind. Have you ever seen a player who has started his career as mostly an offensive player and couldn't really play good defense or at least was not known as a good defender who, who changed the arc of that uh, evaluation by becoming a good uh, defensive player? Because when you were talking earlier about uh, uh, players who – who, who are you know known as offensive scores or whatever, or, or a player who is uh, stresses defense. I, if you're good enough, I, I always bring this up. Are you, if you're good enough to be a good offensive player, aren't you good enough athletically to be a good defensive player? And is it focus or is it drive? Is it uh, emphasis or is it ability? Um, I'm not coming up with a great example, maybe because I just mentioned this guy's name. And, and, you know, your listeners will probably all disagree with me, but, like, you know, I've watched the Warriors incredibly closely the last couple of, not couple of years, going back a long time. And I would argue that, like, you know, Steph Curry becoming an average defender was quite a bit of growth. And you see guards in particular who kind of get embarrassed enough if they at least get their defensive chops up to a place where they stop becoming viral memes on the Internet. Um, James Harden got embarrassed for a few years and certainly still has no awareness and, and is not a good defender, but it has been kind of learned the last couple of years that, like, especially if you put him in a position to guard bigs in the post, like, he's a strong guy and he's actually pretty effective as a post defender and you see, you know, you kind of see improvement there. Um, but the, the other thing that you got to remember and you guys know is that a lot of this stuff is, it's one thing if you're playing 35 minutes as a starter, you know, if you're Jamal Crawford and, and you're a lifetime six man, who's really just there to get buckets. Like you're never going to worry too much about being a sieve on the other end because the market and the NBA economy doesn't really require you to. And, um, you know, that's kind of a gray area. Sam Amick with us from The Athletic. And, and Sam, I apologize if I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. But uh, Gordon and I kind of put each other on, a, on the spot with this earlier in the show. We were talking about how the Jazz maybe lack a tough guy player, somebody that sets like a, a, a tough tone in the culture of the team. And it led us to remember some of the tough guys from Jazz past. We thought about Jay Crowder from a couple of years ago, but of course going back to, to Carl and John and Antoine Carr. But I guess my question is, is there still a role for the, the tough guy in today's uh, NBA? And who are maybe some examples that are out there of guys that set tough tones in their teams? Um, first guy that comes to mind is uh, James Johnson in Dallas. And it's like, you know, when the Mavs played the Clippers in the playoffs, it was a, a just really a glaring weakness of the Mavs that they didn't have any tough guys because Luka is a great player, but he was getting punked like crazy by Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harrell. And Montrez in particular was like the bully on the playground and it was, it was embarrassing. And it reached a point where I was like, man, they need somebody who's willing to put a finger in Montrose's face. Um, and James Johnson was that guy. And, you know, it, it only helps marginally and probably only helps, you know, at least it helps a lot more in the postseason. 
Um, but that move got my attention and, and kind of cracked me up because, A, I had seen kind of the soft version of the Mavs in the playoffs and thought to myself they need some tough guys. And then, B, it reminded me how we last year or the year before at the Athletic, we did a player survey where one of the questions was, who do you not want to fight? And James Johnson won by a landslide. He's actually a, a martial artist and is like 17-0 and 0 in, in, in his kickboxing career. Wow. And so, yeah, like, but then, but then, not to stay on James Johnson too long, I'm watching the Mavs game the other night, and I forget all the details, but he had like a, uh, he had a moment with a young player, forget who it was, but he, he like unnecessarily shoved him out of bounds and even headbutted him on his way out of bounds and then was costing his team points and it was all seemed kind of silly for like game number six or whatever it was. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but there, there is, it's still a tough game and you can't be a pushover. Like if you uh, go back to the Warriors, like Draymond Green having a presence uh, the last couple games and being back with the Warriors, even though they're definitely not the Warriors of old, you know, there is a, a confidence and a swagger that comes with having him on the floor. Uh, you know, he had a really hard foul on Kawhi Leonard last night. They gave him a flagrant one. And, and he acted like he didn't mean to do it. But regardless, like, it was a tough play. And Kawhi was clearly told, you know, by Draymond that he's not going to get anything easy at the rim. So, um, you know, that element does still exist. Well, Sam, we appreciate it whenever you have a chance to drop by the show. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you next week. All right, guys. Be good. See you, buddy. That's our friend Sam Amick from The Athletic. And uh, just to give him uh, all Sam stuff is always really good. But uh, his uh, look into and his interview with uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich was was really interesting. And what a what a, a crazy situation with the, with the Kings. I, the reason I asked him the question the way that I did about uh, did the Kings not know the rules is because they tried to trade a free agent. <laughs> Which I don't think has ever been done before. At least not with the assured... Uh, from the free agent himself that he will re-sign then to be traded. But uh, you know, kind of a wild thing. Anyway, plug to that. It's up at, at The Athletic, and it's really, really good. All right, stay tuned. We'll have more next big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.